microcast. I'm James Bachelor, and joining with me this week is it's Chris Drain, obviously. It's Chris and as I am, you in may my even seat. be able to see us. Oh, we are nice, we're yeah. attempting we're attempting video podcasts or video, yeah. video microcasts going forward, so you'll be able to watch this and listen to this if you are a glutton for punishment. Um, Chris, how are you doing? You're looking like nice and not blurry. I, 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 you know, I'd quite, I've got, I've got my webcam out. I've got the uh, speakers out. I just need some new headphones, and I've got the full podcast experience. Maybe, maybe I can. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm, I like this. I, we did this. During, this is the thing. Like, all this equipment we've had since the pandemic, because we did all yeah. these online um, video webinars and events and so forth, and then sort of we sort of they've slowly been stuck in a drawer ever since. I, I think it's good. Let's get it out. Let's use the uh, use the tools at our disposal. Only thing I haven't got is the uh, the massive studio lights that they sent to us. Um, those are, those are in the garage. Yeah, yeah. Instead, <laughs> yeah, I've got those. this very very clever invention called a window. Yeah, I'm using my <laughs> beforehand because my the way my my room was set up, I, the window was behind me, and I needed those lights. But now, here we are. Yeah, nice. Yeah, I do have those lights. They, I've got them down there. Maybe I should set them up next. Maybe you should set them up. Um, there's only so much the lighting can do. <laughs> All of this is for naught, obviously, if you're listening to the audio version as usual, uh, in which case you probably know the drill by now. This is the microcast. We're going to be going through some of the biggest stories from the past week uh, in a relatively short amount of time to keep this uh, nice and digestible for your busy schedules. Going to start with the uh, SAG-AFTRA deal, SAG-AFTRA, sorry, deal uh, between the uh, voice acting union, the actors union and the AI voice tech Replica Studios. They announced an AI voice agreement that would allow the use of licensed voices in video game development and other interactive media projects, uh, both in the pre-production stages, but even right up to final release. Now, this is the first time there's been a deal specifically for AI voice acting in video games. Um, the union and Replica Studios both say the aim is to kind of create a precedent for like kind of an, an ethical use of AI in video games. Um, perhaps inevitably, voice actors are not pleased about this. Um, vast majority of uh, voice actors that have kind of spoken out about this I've seen on social media and so forth are, I, I won't read like specific complaints because they're all along the lines of, this is a bad idea and I don't know anyone that was actually consulted on this. SAG-AFTRA has said like this was voted, uh, approved by all its members that were actually consulted there's a lot of, well, who, because we don't know anyone that has been consulted on this. Um, but the, the, the deal is there. The, the point more, rather than when you, whether or not this, uh, you know, this deal is happening, because the deal is happening, it's the prospect of voice acting in video games. Now, we've, we're going to be touching on the AI a lot over the weeks, I imagine, um, throughout the year. Voice acting is one area I personally think AI is not a good use for it. I think anything creative, anything in, in, that requires a human element, I don't understand how, a, uh, how a, a computer can act and convey emotion in the way that a human being can, because as far as I'm aware, it can't. Chris, your thoughts on AI voice acting and, and the, the, you know, the impact of this deal? Well, I mean, I don't, I, I don't have too many views on it. It's really complicated. And um, it's interesting, for the first time ever, because I had a typo in an article the other week, somebody accused the article of being AI-generated. So basically, I've realised that people now think if something's not good or something there's a mistake in something, it must have been AI that did it. So, um, yeah. so I, like, I like the idea that the computers are more, at the moment, we're in a world where the, the AI tech is more at fault than the human in the perception. You know, it genuinely was my typo. That was my mistake. It was not AI written piece of work. But the, um, uh, it, the thing is, AI, uh, clearly workers don't like it and gamers don't 
some gamers don't like it at the minute, but we live in, in a really different economy to where we were um, a few years ago. Where actually, I don't think the power at the moment is with workers in that regard. Um, games companies are fighting for survival, and if um, AI tech allows them to do things a little bit cheaply, and even if the quality is not quite there, but is actually pretty good, um, you should expect games companies, certain games companies anyway, particularly ones that are fighting for survival, they're just not going to listen and they're going to do it. Um, that's my fear or expectation, I guess. Um, but I think really it's, it's a really complicated um, thing because often people talk about AI as replacing sort of the, the tedious jobs, the jobs that nobody really wants to do. But I'm actually worried about that because the tedious jobs is where people learn their craft. Right? It's where they learn how to... Um, I, I, we, we, James, you and I both started on MCV magazine and our first job was doing things like a release schedule and um, uh, uh, just compiling tweets. And it was really like... There was some quality created. We would rewrite press releases for the recommended sections, really sort of very unread and basic parts of the magazine. But that's how we learn. That's how we learned the markets, how we learned the traders, how we built our contacts up. And then we eventually uh, leveled up. It was a very thing. In, a, in an AI world, if MCV was still doing that stuff and it isn't, but if the AI world, you just get AI to sort out your schedule for you, right? You get AI to um, um, rewrite those press releases and have someone just tidy it up. And um, and I think that's, a sh and although you go, oh, those are tedious jobs, nobody really wants those jobs, but that's, those are the jobs that teach us how to do those jobs. And that's the bit that worries me a little bit about AI and how it impacts of people coming into the workplace. Um, but as I say, I don't, I think games companies are going to, um, are going to start adopting it quite mm. aggressively, particularly those that are needing to find ways. Cause at the moment the games industry isn't profitable enough, right? These, some of these companies mm. just aren't profitable enough and they need to start making money and they need to start being mindful of their costs. And if AI helps them with their costs, then I expect a bunch of them to use it. I think the, the issue with AI is it's, there's an inevitability to AI compared with all the other, you know, quote unquote, disruptive tech that we've seen in the last few years. The AI, you know, the rise of AI or kind of the popularization of AI is following off the back of like, you know, the blockchain, the metaverse, the NFTs and all those, and like all these other kind of big tech words, buzzwords that everyone got very excited about, poured a lot of money into and actually didn't amount to anything. AI is, I think, you know, it, it's entering a, a very cynical world because of what happened with those technologies. But the difference here is this one, like, you know, the AI, there are going to be people that use it. Like, regardless of whether or not you want them to, there will be people that use it. And it's going to have wider implications for the rest of the industry. It's going to have wider, um, you know, applications than those previous ones I, I mentioned. This is not just in, in games industry, like, this is all industry. So I listen to, in my spare time, I listen to a lot of kind of writing podcasts, uh, podcasts about kind of self-publishing and indie publishing, like, in the kind of the fiction and non-fiction space. And a lot of them, like, you know, a, a lot of the hosts are like, you know, it's too late to say you don't want to use AI or, or you don't want AI to take off. It is taking off. It's up to you whether or not you want to use it or whether or not you want to get behind it. But there is a danger of being left behind. And this is not being said by, like, the people who are, like, you know, invested in AI and, and you know, are going to become profitable on it becoming big. These are people who are, like, you know, there are uses for it. There, you are, there are some ways you can use it ethically to kind of help you and make your processes easier versus you know using it to you know, replace work etc um point being like the you know, video games industry and video games companies are going to be having exactly the same sort of conversation ai is going to happen and ai is going to be a factor of games development and all different parts of the games industry it's whether or not 
it, it's finding the right way to use it. I, way too big a topic to go into on a microcast, but I actually saw an argument, I think it was around this uh, voice acting thing that um, the moment you use AI for creative stuff, you, you were saying earlier like, you know, that um, AI is gonna replace the menial kind of uh, tasks and like, you know, the, the more labor intensive tasks and, and free up people for creativity. There's the free that there's a, there's the fear actually that it's going to be the opposite way that AI is going to be used for um, you know the more creative roles which will leave humans to do the manual labour because that is one thing that some you know that, that AI can't do. Um, obviously, that's not like well, broader broader global. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Uh, the the I, so. I don't. For me, I think yes. There's a there's, this, my my thing is it doesn't. I say my thing is all about the learning curve, right? Because you know your AI you can get AI to write you a novel. But it will be a, a derivative novel based on what the novels are out there. Mm. You can't really... People have their own experiences and convey those experiences and emotions. And the computer can't do that because they've not had any, right? But but that if somebody just wants to go, I'm going to knock out a very nice, basic murder mystery novel, you're like, well, actually, no, the computer can do that for us. Um, and that's where I'm That's where I'm a little bit... I'm, I'm a little bit... But I don't know. I've got this thing. Like, this is a really crude thing to say. I, I apologise. But... Um, Years, a long, long time ago, we learned as a human race, hey, well, we can now make babies without having to have sex, right? And then, you might have to cut all this out, <laughs> and then, but, <laughs> but it turned out we quite liked the sex bit. So we didn't, right? You know, so we, we do it if we have to, if there's a situation where that needs to happen. But broadly speaking, we make babies the same way we always make babies. And I like to think we like creating stuff. We like yeah. making things. So the idea that we would use technology to do the bits that we actually like doing feels weird to me like surely we'd be using it for the stuff that we don't like doing and I, I think you know we could use it to write this novel but why we like writing novels and i hope to think i hope to think that that is the that is the i know that money ends up driving things as well but i like to think that's the um um the way that we go as well but it, it's it's um yeah it's it's money that will ultimately drive the industry towards yeah. um, um adopting and, some of these ai tech and i'm always i'm a little you know, let's be. I was just thinking about this, right? Because we, this is a, this, we're doing this on video for the first time. We may or may not put this out as a video as the first one because we get to have the, the design team are slightly backed up. They haven't yet done our little intro um, sting for this video, so we may put it out without an intro sting. We may wait for the intro sting. We may never put it out at all. If we had AI, we could. If we use AI, we probably could have got it made up this morning. Mm -hmm. So speed is another thing. And when our comp when your competitors are being faster and doing more because they've been able to yeah. use AI effectively. Problem is, it's just the thing is, it's just not good enough at the moment. So I, I don't. Yeah. We wouldn't do it. E equally, putting this up will rely on whether or not our our editor is free to edit a video podcast today. Like you know, it, 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 you know, it, we don't have an AI that can just stick this together and put it up on YouTube yeah, for us. It's entirely yeah, yeah. Like my metaphor. <laughs> <laughs> um, last last point I'll um, I'll say on on AI, just kind of adding to what you were saying about like kind of money's going to drive this in terms of there's going to be money in AI stuff and, and companies are going to want to profit on that but also my point about um inevitability and um, steam steam has revised its uh review proper uh policies and said that it, it's it's basically going to enable the vast majority of games that use ai in some way are going to be released on steam um valve is uh, going to split ai content into two categories uh going forwards uh, it's going to be pre-generated, so any kind of content, art, code, sound, etc., that is created with the help of AI tools during development, and then live-generated, which is any kind of content that's created with the help of AI tools while the game is running. But basically, you know, they've revised their policies in a way that means that, that 
the vast majority of AI games, whether those are you know, games that are developed with AI tools or use AI tools in how you play them, are going to be released on Steam. That's you know, that, that's it, that for me speaks to the inevitability. Like you know, the largest mm-hmm. PC gaming games marketplace is saying, well, you know, there's going to be enough of these that we should allow these to be released on the market. Well, you need to listen to what Microsoft is saying. They, they believe that in the future, as you can, people will make video games who have no experience of, they don't know how to program, who are not artists, and they can sit there, have an idea for a game and put it into a system and the system makes the game for them, right? And that is, this is the idea of, of and it, it's quite terrifying for those who've learned all these, skilled up and got these abilities, but it's, it's, if you look at the music industry and look at TV and film and that stuff, but, you know, anyone can pick up a camera now, pick up a phone and start making films and anyone can sort of just get a beat and start putting some music together it's so easy the game still isn't easy it's really difficult and the idea is ai is a way of breaking down those barriers and if all these people these hobbyists are making games now then the stores might want to you know feature them and that so it's it's you expect that to be um uh, something that you hear from particularly microsoft um as we move into gdc and a segue then from this to another story that I wanted to talk about this morning. I was going to kind of leave it till last, um, which is daft because it's probably going to be a larger discussion. But um, Brendan Sinclair, our managing editor, did a great interview with the head of publishing at Nacon, uh, Benoit Clerc, who was talking about um, the challenges that mid-tier publishers face. And one of the big ones was he said that there are too many games on the market. So the exact quote was, there are too many games currently on the market. We're seeing today the results of investment made after covid where the market was bursting and every game was making a lot of money, so there were a lot of investments being made. This is two or three years after that, so the games we're seeing now on the market were financed in that time, and there are simply too many for customers to be able to play them. When you look at Steam Sundays, there are 50 or 60 games released in one day, only in one day only, so it's more difficult to get enough traction to expose a game. Um, we're seeing releases that are without a day one, to use the old retail expression, without any exposure of a title that has been properly marketed. So he was, and the, you know, the full interview is up on the site. He was talking about the fact that there are so, so many games on the market. I think, you know, the stat that's going around, what, 14,000 games released on Steam alone last year. Um, the, you know, the kind of broad question would be, are there too many games? And that is one that we could fill a whole podcast with, let alone a microcast. I am actually back and forth on this, but Chris, I know you've got a particular thought on this. Well, in terms of like a lot of those, a lot of those fourteen thousands are hobbyists and people who are making games for fun and that yeah. kind of stuff. And in that sense, there isn't too many games. And there can never be too many games. The form of artistic expression, video games, everyone should be able to make one and put that out there, and it's wonderful. I think a better stat is I love looking at the Nintendo Switch. So you go on the Nintendo Switch eShop, right, and you put on a Nintendo 3DS, shall we say, right. There are 1,789 games on the Nintendo 3DS eShop, right? So that's the previous Nintendo console that people actually bought as a, just, just under 1,800 um, uh, things. Nintendo Switch, 11,206, right? And so um, you're looking at a, um, you're looking at a um, very big, uh, you're looking at a huge surge in um, 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 games, not just, you know, yes, Steam has ridiculous numbers, but even just looking at consoles. And um, and what you're talking about there, and it's what the Nacon guy's talking about, is completely, he's actually kind of right. There was a huge surge in games that were greenlit, studios that were set up, that were working on projects from the peak of the pandemic or sort of even just before, 
um, that have got to that have now come into market. And although these may not be AAA mega titles, they're all sort of double A. Some of them are sort of keeping on AAA. So the market's going to. So these stores are saturated, and of that type of stuff. So from a business perspective, if you're Nacon, if you're I don't know, Team 17, if you're um, Devolver Digital, you're now competing. You're those sort of games. I'm not talking hobbyist games. I'm not even talking the top end sort of mega games. Just those sort of games. There is so much. And not, there isn't room for them all in a market mm. where growth is slow. Look, look at the growth mark numbers we did. So in the UK, sales are up, what, 2.5%, 2%? In mm. Europe, sales are up less than 2%. So there is growth in the games industry, but not huge growth. Um, and so you've got this situation where there's more games coming to market. Um, growth is slow. Um, we're post-pandemic, so engagement is down. And, um, and yeah, it, it, there is a lot of games. And I think the release schedule will start to go back a little bit, particularly of those middle double a sort of to triple a sort of level games i think we'll start seeing a drop in those um mm. possibly in a couple of years time i think that's the thing everyone talks about we're looking at two years of pain in the games industry um and um and i will be doing a piece on this because um, i've spoken to a lot of ceos lately to get their views on what's happening um and um part of that is that there are too many games it's not the only problem but it no. is a, it is, it is, there is too many games. And when I say we not, it, as I say, I don't mean, oh, I don't mean there's too many people making games for fun. There's, you can never have enough of those. And there's too many um, AAA mega titles. There really isn't actually. Um, mm. But um, of everything that's sort of, um, you know, the sort of, those sort of, you know, the sort of games I mean, the games that indie publishers are publishing that everyone was making at one point, everyone's leveled up to make. A lot of those AAA studio, you know, the Immortals of Aviums of the world, the Callisto Protocols, those sort of, we started, those are the sort of the early bunch of those that we're starting to see. We're going to see a lot more of those in a couple of years, and I think a lot of those aren't going to work. No. Well, I mean, you know, Immortals of, of Avium, as an example, like, you know, like the, the sales just did not meet the expectations. Like, it, it's, it, it's a shame, like, you know, it's a brand new IP, really kind of polished, bordering on that kind of AAA quality, if not. You know, in you know, can can be argued as a triple A game and really struggled because yeah. again, you know, came out just before this wave of, you know, big games and anticipated games. Like it's 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 hard. The 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 sentiment of there are too many games is something I see particularly common around, um, you know, the media like you know, journalists and so forth, because. Or, or indeed anyone who's just trying who's trying to monitor and keep up with the industry because it's really hard to not not just keep up with what's being released but obviously play them like and even even just a sample them like it's it's impossible to play all of the games that everyone is talking about all the games that have become successful so you have a full understanding of what's out there on the market what's been done what hasn't been done what's been disruptive it's impossible to do that because there's so many games and I, I, until very recently, was very much a yeah. There are too many games because I, I, I can't play them. I, it, and it's, it, it's almost quite a, a, quite a tunnel vision. Like if I can't play them, if I can't play everything big, then there are too many games. But then you look at the other forms of entertainment. Is there too much music? Are there too many books? Well, like there are. Yes, like, <laughs> but, yeah. but also, but also, you, you need to think about it. I think there's two different art, arguments here. Is there too many books? Yeah. Too many, too much music. Too much video TV from the perspective of an art form. No, I, they, no. They, they, I think it's wonderful, and that's how you. It's how it's through new content and people making stuff that opens up new markets. Gen and so even from a business perspective, it has its points to it. But I'm, we're very being very specific. When a company like Namecon is saying there's too many games, they're talking about it from their perspective. The types yeah. of games they make are competing in a space where there's just too many titles, and I think that's true. Um, mm. And I so I think there's slightly different. 
I think when people say too many games, it's a very broad statement. And it, and it and I don't, and I think I don't think you can ever have enough games. I think more games for more people. I'm just going to play my Nintendo ones. But regardless, more games for more people um, uh, is great. But it is, and more people making stuff is great, and being creative is great. It's just um, if you're um, a mid-tier publisher at the moment trying to survive, and even uh, we talked about you wanted to do Immortals of Avium. It's an EA game, right? You know, mm. it, it, it's even difficult for these big companies. I Immortals of Avium actually charted higher than Forza Motorsport in the charts right and that's a microsoft game okay that's not that's a different situation i think but regardless you've got these you've got these um you've got plenty of examples even the big companies who are trying to do something new and innovative um who are um who are competing in a market with lots and lots and lots of people trying to do something new and innovative and when you when you launch Immortals of avium at the same time which what to be fair didn't review incredibly well but when no. launched up against Baldur's Gate 3, it came, on the, it came on the back of Diablo. Um, and you've got th those games sucking up a lot of time and money out of the market. And that's the thing, time. Like, yeah. you're in an engagement economy, you're competing for time. And time is finite. In theory, money goes up, but time doesn't. And, and if you can't find a way to get your game to fit in, then um, or, or to separate, or it's just tough. From a business perspective, as I say, I think from an art form, more the merrier. I think that's kind of a nice note to uh, end on, and we are relatively micro, so I'm going to wrap this up there. And um, thank you so much for joining us, particularly if you're able to watch this. Thank you so much for watching and uh, putting up with our faces for the last 20 minutes. Um, Chris, thank you so much for joining me as usual. Oh, it's a pleasure, James. I love doing these. These are, these are good fun. Great way to start the week. Um, you can, as always, find all previous episodes of the Microcast, the podcast, and our various spin-offs on the same GamesIndustry.biz podcast feed on the podcasting platform of your choice. I'm saying the word podcasting a lot, but that's, that's just the nature of this plug. Um, we will hopefully be bringing more Microcasts to our YouTube channel. Yes, GI has a YouTube channel. And uh, you can obviously find more news, insight, and analysis into the world behind video games at GamesIndustry.biz.